Our scripture lesson for today comes from the Gospel of Luke, and I have chosen it because of our third grade Bible program. It has within it this thing that our third graders memorize, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so that is why I've chosen it. Um, a friend of mine that I met when I was in college, um, she had become a pastor, and she's one of the reasons that I became a pastor. She, uh, for her senior thesis in college, um, convinced her school that because she was a theater major and a religion major that she should, for her senior thesis, memorize the Gospel of Mark and perform it at the end of the year. And the Gospel of Mark is the shortest gospel, but it still takes about two and a half hours to perform. Um, and so in, her, in the spirit of her um, contagious love for um, writing scripture on your heart and in honor of our third graders, I have, um, I have, I have learned today's scripture passage by heart. So here is the Gospel of Luke, the story of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, a lawyer stood up and asked Jesus this question. How do I inherit the kingdom of heaven? How do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, you know the laws. How have you read these things? And the lawyer replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do all of this and you will live. But the lawyer, wanting to prove himself, asked Jesus this question. But who is my neighbor? And so Jesus replied, there was a man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him for dead. On the road, a priest was walking down the same road, and upon seeing this man, he turned and walked along the other side of the road. And in the same way, a Levite came by, and he saw the man, and he walked by on the other side of the road. But then came a Samaritan on the same road, and on his journey, he saw the man, and he had pity on him. And he went to the man, and he bandaged his wounds, and he put oil and wine on them as medicine. And then he took the man and put him on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he could take care of the man for the night. And in the morning, he took two valuable coins and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of this man, and I will return, and I will repay you any money that you have spent in taking care of this man. And so Jesus asks this lawyer, who of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by robbers? And the lawyer replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. May God bless the hearing of this holy word. Well, we've got all our little guys going to worship at 10.30 today because we're doing our traditional um, Children's Day celebration with the third grade Bibles at 10.30. So the third graders are going to be reciting all of their memory work, including um, this, the greatest commandment, yes, that um, we might love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. 
And uh, there's something just so familiar about this scripture passage that, um, of the Good Samaritan. We know exactly what to expect. We've heard it so many times before. It's become a common metaphor, right, for us in our world, um, not just in religious circles either. The, the Good Samaritan is someone um, that is talked about in secular circles as well. It's embedded into our common vocabulary. There's laws written about it. There are centers and hospitals named after Good Samaritans. Uh, so we can easily pass through this story unfazed. But today I want to think about how the kindness of children might offer us a new lens through which to see uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. What if all the characters in the story of the Good Samaritan were children? What if the parable sounded a little bit more like this? Jesus was talking to a crowd of students in the park, and one of the students, having heard the greatest commandment, asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with this story. Sears School let out one day, and everyone headed home. It was a beautiful day. Two of the well-known fourth-grade bullies ran ahead. A girl riding her bicycle slowed down as she approached the tunnel that goes under the train tracks, and suddenly the two bullies jump out from behind the bushes, knock her off her bike, steal her backpack and her bicycle, and leave her with skinned knees and a twisted ankle. A few kids walk by and see her there, but they're all running late to soccer practice, so they run on ahead. Another kid sees her there, but is in the middle of texting a friend to find out where to meet for soccer practice, so was too distracted to stop. Finally, a kindergartner walks by, sees the girl, and stops. She helps her up onto her own bicycle, goes to the nearest house where she knows a friend's mom is home, asks the mom to take care of the girl, and leaves her own bicycle for the injured girl to use, telling the mom that she'll be soon back to find out if the girl is okay. And Jesus replies, who of these was a neighbor to the girl who was attacked by the bullies? Turned on its side, this story sounds a little different. It breaks your heart a little bit in a different way. The story has become so rote, so familiar, that when we turn it on its side, we hear it with new ears. It highlights that human potential for cruelty, the way that bullies can arise so quickly and easily on the scene of any school community, the way friends can decide, accidentally almost, that ignoring someone else's suffering is okay, the way our cell phones further isolate us from one another, pushing someone else's suffering to the margins because we were too distracted to look up. There's the kindness of the kindergartner on the one hand, and its opposite. As part of an essay contest called This I Believe, based on a popular radio series from the 1950s, a student named Cullen described something similar, the kindness of children on the one hand and its opposite. 
He said that the passing periods at school can be the worst part of any middle schooler's day. It's just a small fraction of the day. He did the math. It's 180th of the time that you spend at school. But it can be heart-wrenchingly cruel. Wanting to help others see just how hard it is to walk the hallways every day, especially that his teachers might understand how hard it is. Cullen and his friends did an experiment for one week. All week long, during passing period, they counted the negative remarks that they heard about someone's gender, sexuality, or race. And they counted over 1,000 insults just during passing period that week. This doesn't include the kind of things that might have been said um, under someone's breath or via text message or on social media. So it's just one week during that short little sliver of time between passing periods, 1,000 insults. And they weren't directed all at one person, but the sheer number of rude and derogatory and hurtful and humiliating comments just that his friends and him heard make really highlight how difficult it is to navigate school even for the most confident of students. Colin, even at a, such a young age, said that because he has seen how cruel the world can be, he believes in tolerance, respect, and most importantly, acceptance. In another essay from that same essay contest, another student, Carly, puts it this way. She says, choose love. She says, the Good Samaritan chose love. He could have easily passed by like the other, like the other two, but he chose love. Love your neighbor. It's a choice. Choose love, Carly says. A, a Vietnam vet named Miles recalls a time when a child chose love, when kindness came his way unexpectedly. There was no welcome home parades in those days for men and women of war. No crowds welcoming him home with eagerness, celebrating his return. It was an unpopular war and a complicated time, and so Miles was quietly returning home. He was in uniform, and on the final leg of his journey, Miles was on a domestic flight from California to Texas, sitting in a window seat trying to go unnoticed. And without pomp or circumstance, a little girl walked up to him. He says she was no, no older than 10, and handed him a magazine to read on the flight home. And as she gave him this gift, she whispered, Welcome home. Miles never found out who she was or why she whispered, Welcome home. If maybe her mom had given her nudge to, to be kind to him, or if maybe her dad was in the war too, because as soon as he heard those words, welcome home, he had to turn away to weep. It was the first kindness that he had had in a very long time. Choose love anyway, Carly says. Welcome home, the girl says. It is a Samaritan-shaped story, yes. And then there's Jacob from Trustville, Alabama, just outside Birmingham. He's not yet out of high school, and he remembers a time when kindness became healing. Jacob had been injured, and though his parents and doctors and nurses and everyone that was taking care of him had been kind to him all along, it was still a hard, lonely journey after surgery. For several weeks, he was in a wheelchair, 
And one day he was with his family at a sporting goods store and almost everyone in the store was ignoring him. It was really hard to get through the crowd with his injury and his wheelchair. And then suddenly from within the crowd, a man he'd never met began to clear the way for him. This small little random act of kindness, this small something that cost the man nothing became everything to Jacob. He told everyone to clear a path. He made a way for him so that he could get through to where he was going. And for Jacob, it was a reminder that kindness is a choice and a single act of random kindness every day can change the world. In a famous essay called I and Now, Martin Buber, a 20th century philosopher theologian, said that as soon as we encounter another person, we are touched by the breath of eternal life. That in encountering one another, we have an opportunity to be touched by the breath of eternal life. Martin Buber might say in response to Jacob, for example, that in such random acts of kindness, we encounter the life-changing God. And in fact, Martin Buber was the theologian behind this sermon series on the image of God. Martin Buber makes this radical claim that we can see the image of God in one another whenever we encounter one another. And so on the flip side of that, when the bullies of the world are taking charge or hiding in bushes or knocking over kids on bicycles or spreading insults during passing periods, or when we are just simply ignoring one another, then we are ignoring God. We are trampling on the image of God. We are hurting not only ourselves, but God whose love is at work within us. Thomas G. Long, who is a biblical scholar that Joe Forrest was lucky enough to spend a week studying under, or maybe two weeks, um, I was a little jealous, uh, he um, lived a century apart from Martin Buber, right? Martin Buber was born in the 1870s, um, but in his essay on the Good Samaritan, uh, Tom Long imagines what it would be like to have a conversation with Martin Buber about this parable, about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And here's how, here's how Tom Long imagines his conversation would go. Tom admits that our relationships are never quite as straightforward or saccharine sweet as Hollywood movies make them out to be, nor are life encounters quite as cheery as sermon illustrations seek to portray them to be. And so it's kind of frustrating to figure out how to be the Good Samaritan. It's harder than it looks, Tom says. So in response, Martin Buber agrees, yes, life is always a little more boring and tedious and predictable. Life is always a little bit more burdened by habit or cultural norm or distraction. And so Tom replies, yeah, and sometimes our neighbors have jagged edges. Sometimes it's just not safe to love your neighbor the way we should. It's risky and maybe a little too risky, Tom says. But he does admit, Tom does, that all things are possible with God. And Martin Buber agrees. True, when we encounter another person, we have this ability to meet God. And so whenever we see our neighbor in need, we are not alone. God is there. We have to pay attention, Martin Buber says. Pay attention and await these kinds of moments of kindness. Watch for the kind people. 
and let them be your saving hope. Okay, says Tom. Maybe. Maybe it is God all along who was the one who was there when the Good Samaritan came along. Maybe it is God who dwells within the Good Samaritan who picks us up out of the ditch and bandages us up and helps us to mend. Maybe when we encounter another person, we are able to be opened up to encountering the divine. But Martin Buber says, it doesn't, it doesn't happen in really fancy ways. This doesn't happen on mountaintop moments or Hollywood kind of beautiful scenic ways. These kinds of encounters at first maybe don't seem holy. Maybe they seem more regular. Maybe they seem more like this man who's helping a kid get through the, the store when it's a crowded place and he's in a wheelchair. It almost looks as if nothing heroic has happened. But it is here, that Good Samaritan moment, in this tiny little sliver of time. There, grace can happen. With God, all things are possible, Jesus says. With God, all things are possible. And maybe that's why the greatest commandment begins not with love your neighbor, but with love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. And in that way, you might be able to love your neighbor. It takes an act of God to love our neighbor. God is the one who goes into the ditch to brush off the little girl's skinned knees. God is the one who whispers, welcome home, to the Vietnam vet. God is the one who pushes the wheelchair through the crowd. God is the one who chooses love. God is the one who chooses kindness. God is the one who lifts us up first so that we can lift up one another. May it be so. Amen.